0: podcast my name is essica cage rosario and i am the president of the memphis police association this podcast is brought to you by the men and women of the memphis police association and we are here to let you know our place in the community of memphis welcome to our podcast we are everyday people On this, the premiere episode of the MPA podcast, we have special guests. We have Bill Gibbons, who is the president of the Memphis Shelby County Crime Commission. Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you enjoy it.
1: And welcome to this segment of the MPA. We are everyday people. I'm Matt Cunningham. I'm vice president of the Memphis Police Association, and I wanted to welcome you to our podcast and introduce you to several of the everyday people that work here in the office every day. Uh, to my left is Jeremy White. He is the Secretary-Treasurer of the Memphis Police Association. Jeremy, welcome. Tell, them, uh, tell the people here a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, I've been on the Memphis Police Department almost 13 years. I trained at Airway Station, and after that I worked South Precinct before coming down here. and have um, been down here about six months now, officially. I enjoy it very much.
1: We love having Jeremy around. And uh, to my right is an integral part of the office staff here. Uh, This is Randy Smalley. She's the executive administrator of the Memphis Police Association Charitable Foundation. Randy, introduce yourself.
3: Like Matt said, I'm Randy Smalley. I've been with the MPA and the Charitable Foundation for almost seven years now, and do just about any and everything. <laughs> I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them try to say that I'm the glue here, um, but I wouldn't know what to do without my everyday people.
1: Oh well, thanks. Well, I'm Matt Cunningham. I'm a 23-year veteran officer with the Memphis Police Department. Uh, I've been permanently at the MPA now for about three years, uh, and I've been involved as a board member prior to that for another three. So. Uh, I've been involved with the MPA now pretty heavily for six years or so. So uh, we're happy to be here. We're gonna tell you a little about what the MPA does, why we exist. Um, We were formed in 1973 uh, as a result of of a necessity to uh, create a a bargaining unit, some way for the Memphis police officers in the city to interact. Um, So the association represents approximately 1,900 to 2,000 officers right now. Um, we are the, the association, the bargaining unit that represents those officers with, uh, administrative hearings. Uh, our job is mainly to make sure the police officers receive fair wages, fair benefits, fair and equitable treatment in, uh, in disciplinary and administrative hearings. We provide legal representation. So, uh, the administrative portion of what the MPA does is, is pretty heavy. Um, it's very important to the police officers that work in this city and uh, we do the best we can to represent those officers when it comes to negotiations with the city. We're going through contract negotiations right now. Um, we are in the process of renegotiating our contract that ex- that expires June 30th of this year. Um, so that's a pretty heavy duty topic right now. Um, how are those going, Jeremy? Can you give us a little bit of an update?
2: You know, uh, they're going quite well. Um we've gone through several different things we agreed on several things like um, uh, some CIT benefit pay some hazardous duty pay kind of cleaned up some language in the MOU which is our kind of like our constitution contract that we have between us and the city Um, we still haven't come to agreement on wages yet we're definitely behind the curve a little bit here locally and um, that's something that I'm very passionate about I feel like we are the voice for the members and we're the bridge between the members and the city so hopefully we can gain a little headway there and uh, get a good race
1: that's true we're trying desperately to uh to become the preferred agency in the in the region especially in the county where uh potential police officers would want to come work because we are very far below about 500 officers below the complement of officers that we need to adequately police this city and so we're trying to desperately increase the benefits and the wages to attract new officers to the city. But the MPA also works with uh, community projects. Um, our latest and I guess our our most flagship project of the uh, of the month is we're trying to uh, work with the partnership to protect 901. Uh, that's the MPA uh, is, is working with Bill Gibbons and Stevie Moore as a community outreach project to try to help reduce violent crime in the city, uh, we've had several gun walks where the NPA has participated. We'll uh, we'll show up in a neighborhood that uh, that's got a little bit higher crime rate than other neighborhoods, and we'll we'll walk through those neighborhoods in a solid in show of solidarity to fight violent crime and to try to cut down on crime violence or gun violence. Uh, so that's just one of the projects that the NPA does uh, in the community, um, along with our our pledge to provide due process for the officers of this city people a lot of times forget that memphis police officers have the same rights as citizens when it comes to uh to either administrative hearings or or uh to appear in court so uh, we just try to make sure those rights are preserved Um, more community outreach that we do though is that the mpa in 2011 founded a charitable foundation that's randy's main focus um She's here to help me describe what the Charitable Foundation is and what we do for the community.
3: Where to start? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, back in 2011, there was always officers coming to us that were wanting to do things in the community and trying. They didn't have a foundation, and Mike Williams, our former president, um, he said, we need a foundation. So that's where it all came (laughs) from, and it just – we ran with it. have um, It's well over a million dollars that we've given back to the Memphis yes. community. Um, anywhere from donating a horse to the Mounted Patrol um, to canine dogs, um, goodness, Make-A-Wish Foundation.
1: That's right, we've, we've granted over 14 wishes to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, we have numerous events throughout the year that are fundraisers. Uh, to raise money to to uh give out to on community grants um like like Randy said we've purchased a horse for the mountain (laughs) patrol uh we have purchased a dog for our canine unit we've several dogs several dogs um and we also uh give to community projects uh gosh we've got we did a
2: backpack giveaway Mm -hmm. for a back to school thing a couple Mm -hmm. years ago right before covid hit
1: it's true uh last last time around last year around Christmas we a um a coat drive for hispanic kids in the -hmm. the community uh we got notified that that no none of the children that that showed up as in need of a coat went without a coat we were able to to get a coat for every child that was there so
3: especially with the temperatures we had this year (laughs) that's right people in memphis didn't know what to do
1: so uh we uh we in addition to the fundraising events go through some of the events that we have throughout the year
3: um typically when we're not in a pandemic um we have our brothers in blue golf tournament we have our miles for memphis 5k our hester sykes memorial softball tournament and our hearts of giving toy drive that we do at christmas to special need and or underprivileged children in the memphis community
1: so we have these these fundraising events throughout the year but we also accept donations if the community contacts us and says I would like to make a donation to the Charitable Foundation. How do I do that? You can do it any number of ways. You can contact Randy at our office, 523-7075. 901.
3: The area code <laughs> 901.
1: Uh, you know, you just call Randy and she can, uh, She's. we're all fancy and electronic. We can do that stuff with a credit card. Um, you can also donate through our website, uh, which is mpagivesback.org. Um, you can go to our website and I believe there's a donate button. Yeah,
3: donate right at the top and any page you go to the donate st- stays up there so you can't really get lost um, but you can do it straight through PayPal
1: so if you uh, if you have a desire to donate and try to help us help the community we would love that we uh, we encourage anyone that wants to donate to please do that um, another one of the things that we do throughout the year is uh, we have a food pantry here at our office now it's not super extensive but we do give out food to uh, to needy families throughout the year if if we recognize a need
3: right um we always tell officers you know when they're out in the community if you know of somebody because there are eyes and ears we're not out in the streets like they are so we always tell them you know if they see a family in need let us know and then we can help them
1: so uh, we try to do all that stuff we uh, jeremy jeremy being the treasurer of both organizations um kind of give us an idea of how strong is the cf now compared to years past financially, or what kind of shape are we in? Okay, Uh,
2: that's a good question. Um, Right now, we have a little over, or a little under $120,000 in the CF. Um, I think at one point back in 2019, we were down to $40,000. One of the, I guess, unintended consequences of the pandemic is kind of limited the things that we can do out in the community hands-on. I know this year, like with Hearts of Giving, we didn't have the opportunity to go out to visit people's houses and hand deliver these toys and things. So, um, we do have a lot of money. We're really strong. And it looks like, you know, things are kind of, the table's kind of turning here. And we should be able to get back out there, you know, knock on wood, and um, be able to be hands-on in the community.
1: Pre-pandemic, the CF used to turnout numbers like I've got the numbers here in front of me in 2018 we gave out 100, over hundred and forty six thousand dollars in donations and in 2019 we gave out over hundred and five thousand dollars in donations um, so those have gone down a little bit in the last year because of the pandemic but uh, we work really hard to to be a, a at least not a, maybe not a major factor but a, a big factor in the community to help out the needy or help out whoever we can help not just necessarily police officers, but also just members of the Memphis community. So um, I hope this has given you some kind of an idea of, of th- how the Memphis Police Association operates, that we are everyday people just like you. Um, we, we live and work in this community along with y'all. We appreciate you tuning in and uh, we hope to see you back on this podcast soon.
3: Hi, I'm Randy Smalley from the Memphis Police Association Charitable Foundation. And everybody always wants to have one of our shirts. Hey, where did you get that? Well, we have a store just for you to go and check out everything that we have. You can go to mpacf.shop and check out some of our shirts. We have a few that you can see. My, Mr. Vanna White here.
2: She's my cousin.
3: (laughs) His name's Jeremy White, so. These are our newest shirts that we have available Excuse the wrinkles. I'll have Jeremy steam them before we send them to you. Right on top of that. (laughs) Um, We do have shipping available, or you can come pick up from the office here at 638 Jefferson. If you have any questions, you can call me at 901-523-7075. And don't forget, we have some on sale, $5. Who doesn't love a $5 t-shirt? Go check it out.
4: Hey, hey, guys, how are the hot dogs? I've been eating them my entire life, and that's why I got so tall. The hot dog is so good. 6 o'clock tomorrow, if you eat the hot dog, you'll be as tall as me.
0: Can you actually imagine hosting your next event at the all-new SVP Banquet in the Dent Center? Yes! Gracious, beautiful venue with plenty of parking located in the heart of East Memphis. Let us host your next intimate birthday gathering, family repast, bachelorette party, wedding and reception, baby shower, corporate meeting, social club event. Call us today. Don't wait. Know how to wear your face mask correctly. First... Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds or use hand sanitizer that contains at least 60% alcohol. Put your face mask over your nose and mouth and secure it under your chin. If the mask has loops, hook them around your ears. If it has ties, secure them at the base of your neck and crown of your head. Make sure you can breathe easily. Remove your mask carefully. Untie the straps or unhook the loops from your ears and pull the mask away from your face without touching the front of your mask. Don't touch your eyes, nose, or mouth when taking off your mask. Wash your hands for at least 20 seconds immediately after removing your mask or use hand sanitizer that contains at least 60% alcohol. Learn more at cdc.gov coronavirus and coronavirus.gov.
5: hey this is john covington again chief steward of the memphis police association and i'm very excited today to have a special guest uh with us on our first show which is uh bill gibbons and um, i tell you bill i, I wikipedia myself one time and nothing came up i'm sad <laughs> to say but i wikipedia you and quite a bit showed up and i wanted just to so the audience knows uh some of the things you've done i wanted to cover them real quick so currently you are the executive director At the public safety institute at the university of memphis correct and and we'll talk about that Uh, president of the memphis shelby crime commission correct so far so good (laughs) we'll we'll talk about that too you served as both uh in uh earlier years the memphis city council and the county commission true so far so good (laughs) uh former district attorney here in uh, shelby county or the 30th judicial right district and uh, that was two and a half terms is uh uh well yeah basically 16 years 16 years okay great and then uh you were also commissioner of the tennessee department of safety and homeland security until 2016 that is correct okay so uh you've had an impressive uh background and uh we'll talk about some of those things but let's kind of start at the beginning uh so you were born in southern arkansas Right, <laughs> I'm talking You've about. I done a lot of research. The of very me. very beginning, I tell you, Wikipedia is very amazingly <laughs> thorough. Was, this is a good way to test it. Um, graduate of Central High School here in Memphis, of course. Right. What what age did you move or come to Memphis?
4: Well, I moved here when I was 18, mm-hmm. uh, for the same reason so many people, uh, especially in the South, move from rural areas to the city. Really, uh, because my family was seeking more opportunity. Right. Um, and that's a, a story for many, many people, especially in the South.
5: Uh, it's a story of my family as well. You know, at Memphis, the big city lights are, are the big right. city here in this, this area. Uh, so you graduated, went to Vanderbilt. Right. At some point, became interested in the law, clearly, because you went to law school at Vanderbilt. And then uh, you were in private practice here in right. Memphis. So what got you interested in this path well that I'll try to give a
4: a simple answer to that but uh, by the time I was uh, going to high school here at Central uh, I was really very very committed to the city of Memphis actually even before that it's just a kid growing up in South Arkansas my family had roots in Memphis Uh, I yearned for the day that I could live in Memphis so when I got here I was really excited to to be in the city Um, and then I began to look at the 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 issues and the problems facing the city Uh, so pretty early on I became interested in the whole issue of crime prevention and crime reduction and then when I became a member of the City Council Uh, It was really an opportunity to try to do something uh, about this particular challenge. Uh, And I was really uh, the one on the city council who got the city involved in funding an effort to organize neighborhood watch programs to get citizens more involved in crime prevention and reduction. And we were able to provide some city funds to help neighborhood watch groups. Then when I moved over to the county commission, I continued that effort and got some county funding to assist neighborhood watch groups. Um, So initially, my involvement in this was not so much on the law enforcement side as on getting citizens involved uh, in helping make our community safer. Then I became district attorney and my, my focus changed a little bit Um, And when I became district attorney, I early on determined that the district attorney's office did not just need to be a reactive public agency, simply reacting to the cases that come in the pipeline, but needed to be proactive and really have some policies and practices in place that could have an impact on the crime rate. Uh, An example of that is um, the no plea bargaining policy that we implemented for the most violent crimes. Uh, And under that policy, we took the position that once someone was indicted for a major violent crime, murder, rape, aggravated robbery, uh, that we would not plea bargain that case unless there was some ethical or legal reason that came up. The prime example being you find out you had the wrong person, of course. (laughs) Sure. Uh, But barring something like that, our position was we would not plea bargain. And that's an example of kind of a proactive policy by the DA's office that was one, designed to hold those committing violent crimes accountable, but two, to serve as a deterrent effect, to really try to send a signal out to the street level that if you make the bad decision of engaging in that kind of violent crime, the DA's office was gonna do everything it could to hold you accountable. So, um, I really tried to focus on those kinds of practices and policies in the DA's office. Uh, Then, uh, of course, I went to the uh, Tennessee Department of Safety and Homeland Security, where part of my job was to oversee um, our highway patrol Right, um, and again, I really wanted to, to try to make sure that as a law enforcement agency, the Highway Patrol was being proactive. Uh, and so, one thing we did was to train every single road troo- trooper on uh, interdiction efforts, how to handle interdiction, uh, to make sure it was handled the right way, so that uh, cases would hold up in court. So, we really made an intensive effort to provide troopers that kind of training. So, when they pulled somebody over uh, who may be engaged in drug trafficking, for example, they really knew how to handle that stop effectively uh, and in the right way. So, uh, that's a long answer to your question, I guess, but that's really kind of how I got involved. Uh, Initially, uh, focusing on citizens getting involved in fighting crime, but then kind of moving over uh, from the perspective of prosecutor uh, and then someone overseeing a law
5: enforcement agency well and uh, that to me that's one of the things that makes your journey very interesting to me because uh, we kind of talked before we started taping how and we we just talked to uh, Sandy and Ariel about uh, the the gun walks uh, against the walks against gun violence and we'll talk about that too which you were a prime mover in that so you've been able to approach or see crime as a as a from a political perspective uh, from a state perspective looking uh, on a state level and here locally uh and uh as a da from the law enforcement perspective and then as a and now more recently from the community aspect though you did were involved in neighborhood watches early on do you see looking at that kind of holistic way Do you see one more important in the other, or is it all a cohesive effort that it's going to take to kind of make a dent in in these things that we deal with? Wow,
4: John, I would say it has to be a cohesive effort. Mm -hmm. Um, The police can't do it alone. They need the help of citizens and prosecutors. Prosecutors can't do it alone, and citizens can't do it alone. It it takes everybody uh, working together, Uh, which to some degree kind of gets to my current job is – president of the Crime Commission because really what the Crime Commission tries to do is uh, identify best practices evidence-based evidence-informed best practices and then try to get all of the key stakeholders behind a common plan to implement those kinds of best practices Uh, and as you know we have a 50 member board it's kind of like herding cats (laughs) but what we've tried to do through that board is trying to get all key stakeholders in the same room, uh, agreeing to the same community plan to prevent and reduce crime. Um, and then, uh, in a diplomatic way, trying to hold stakeholders
5: accountable for taking the steps necessary to implement the plan. And, and I have to say, and uh, the Memphis Police Association recently was invited to, yes. to join, and our president, uh, uh, Esca Rosario, and uh, that was a great honor for us and we're very excited about it and 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 to your point and sitting in the meetings it's just it's so impressive to see the wide array across uh, politics community organizing just all these points of view all these strong personalities too without question Uh, these are all I get to sneak in and see you know but these are all really (laughs) impressive folks and me sitting there but it is impressive and uh, I'm also kind of drawn to you it's not your standard kind of organization I mean you've you've got such a broad approach and so what are some of the specific uh, programs that you think have been most effective coming out of the Commission
4: well first of all when you say it's impressive I'm glad you say that however we've been meeting virtually yes for obvious reasons Uh, we're hoping to go back to in-person board meetings in July And hopefully, you'll be even more impressed because when we have in person board meetings, there's much more interaction than there is virtually. So, hopefully, you'll see that. Uh, In terms of uh, things that we're really kind of focusing on right now and pushing and advocating, uh, let me mention two or three. Okay. Uh, First of all, something um, important to the Memphis Police Association is. Our shortage of police officers. Yes, yes. Uh, and we have been uh, really working on that and advocating steps to address that. Uh, this year, uh, we were supportive of legislation at the state level to uh, do away with the current residency requirement. Uh, it passed the state Senate. Right. It got bumped till next year in the state House. Uh, but we're going to still be at it, uh, and we're going to be actively uh, advocating for that and encouraging members of the State House of Representatives to pass that. So that's an example of what we're doing. Uh, another thing uh, which was, I think, pretty significant was uh, the fact that over the last three years, uh, the crime Commission raised $6.1 million in private money. Right to help pay for retention bonuses for Memphis police officers and recruitment bonuses. Um, And I hope that's helped. Um, You know, going and, you know, I'm not telling you anything that you (laughs) and other police officers don't know, but uh, through 2017, well, between 2012 and 2017, we were having a net loss of police officers year after year. That's right. Uh, Beginning in 2018, we were able to reverse that and had some net gain, not as much as we need, but I would like to think that the retention bonuses helped help that in terms of reversing that trend. Um, of course, in 2020, we had another net loss of police officers, uh, and in part that was because of the pandemic. Uh, as you know, one class was canceled due to, to the, right, due right. to the pandemic, uh, but hopefully. Um, will have a, a, a net gain uh, in 2021 as well. But I would like to think that the $6.1 million that the Crime Commission raised in, in private funds um, at least helped in terms of reversing that trend of net losses.
5: Well, and, and and yes, definitely that. And I also, I'm glad you brought up this residency issue. It's something that uh, the Memphis Police Department and the Sheriff's Office extremely supportive of. And uh, the MPA as representative of the officers was extremely uh, supportive uh, from the beginning. Uh, uh, you know, we were we were extremely disappointed what it was, the citizens were not allowed to vote on yes. it. That that was taken away. And uh, we were, um, so we do hope, and of course we're gonna do everything we can to, uh, hopefully that changes. Because in this highly competitive world we live in, um, opening up that pool of talent and ability and, it's just immeasurable the impact it would have so
4: and i might mention one more thing on that Uh, the Crown commission did commission a professional public opinion poll in july 2020 yes uh, (laughs) by a very reputable polling outfit that has a reputation for accuracy in this community and what that what that survey showed was the vast majority of memphians want more police officers Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that and of course the City Council has set a goal of 2,500 police officers Um, I think the only way to ever reach that goal is to expand the pool which involves addressing the residency requirement Uh, if I could go back to your initial question let me mention two more quick things that we're really focused on this year Um, one is something that District Attorney Amy Wyrick is setting up and that is called the focus deterrence initiative okay uh it is a proven best practice best practice if implemented correctly it's worked in other cities but basically what it involves is focusing on those offenders who are responsible either directly or indirectly because of their influence over others for a sizable part of our violent crime uh, and you know we know who they are right Uh, so part of this effort is to identify them call them in and talk turkey with them and say um, we want to help you move in the right direction and if you need uh, an educational opportunity or housing or jobs we'll try to help you move in the right direction we will try to help you change your behavior but if you don't do that we're going to do everything we can to hold you accountable uh, and I've attended a number of these call-ins. Uh, if you haven't, I would urge you to attend some. But um, they're really interesting because you have representatives of social service agencies there, but you had the district attorney, the U.S. attorney, the police director, the sheriff there as well. Um, and they make uh, the point very clear that these individuals will be held accountable right. if they don't change their behavior.
5: Uh, in well, just, that, just real yeah. quick on that, yeah. uh, I think, uh, and that's getting back to kind of this holistic approach to crime, and it's, and uh, something I've always believed in, and I think we share in this, is that if you're going to commit the crimes, that you want a strong deterrent and a strong uh, active uh, policing that, but on the, at the same token, uh, to give opportunity. You know to come at it from both sides because it's truly the only way we can ever really solve it so but uh, but uh, that's a fantastic program yeah and in
4: 2021 uh, we're pushing to really scale that effort up okay Uh, it's already been scaled up Uh, general Wyrick, in February of this year uh, had three additional call-ins of these offenders which added about a hundred people to the effort uh, but I'm hopeful that as we move forward in 2021, it can be scaled up even more. Uh, and let me mention one more thing. Sure. Uh, juvenile crime is a real challenge. Yes, Roughly half of all the juveniles going through juvenile court for delinquent acts have been there before. They are repeat offenders. So we're really focusing on pushing uh an effort to reduce the number of repeat offenders by assessing what's going on in a juvenile's life or that juvenile's family life the very first time uh, that juvenile encounters law enforcement to try to break that cycle of repeat offenses. Uh, And there's a lot lot going on right now. I'm having meetings virtually every day on this issue trying to kind of move the ball down the field on that. But I think that's very, very
5: important. I think that's the key you know the next generation and and it's kind of this work that you do that we may not see the fruits of it immediately but you know it's going to impact the future and as you say break the cycle and just you know
4: right and and we will see some impact immediately Mm -hmm. uh, in two ways one uh, hopefully we can move that young person in the right direction so we're salvaging that young person But number two, if that juvenile is not engaging in repeat acts of
5: delinquency, we're reducing the crime rate. Right. So it
4: has that immediate impact
5: as well. Now, speaking of young people, uh, I was a teacher before I became a a police officer, and sometimes uh, getting up in front of a... A bunch of students and captivating them for, for an hours. Uh, running into bank robberies might be easier. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I, I teach at the University of Edison. What State, I was going to so get into, I, I, I understand, uh, is the, the Public Safety Institute. And that's another way, I think, of engaging younger people. And so talk a little bit about what the mission is there yeah. and how that works. Well, the Public Safety Institute is um, a
4: research entity focusing on applied research and by applied research i mean research that can be utilized by stakeholders uh in terms of identifying best practices things that work right uh and it it's tied to the crime commission because one thing the public safety institute is doing is evaluating or assessing various parts of the safe community plan as those parts are implemented to determine what's working and what's not working. If it's not working, uh, why? Is it because maybe it was a bad idea, we just kind of missed the mark? Or is it because it's not being implemented properly? But really kind of delve into that and make that determination. Now, the Public Safety Institute also does some research outside the scope of the uh, Safe Community Plan. I mean, we seek various uh, federal grants and so on to do all kinds of research, but um, it's really, designed to uh, add something to the local safe community plan that we had not had in the past and that's really assessing and evaluating what parts of it are working uh, and what parts are not and, okay. and if not why and
5: that's interesting and, and
4: also uh, as part of that I also do teach criminology at the University
5: okay and uh, you mentioned earlier some polling you did and yeah. uh, you know there was things that jumped out at me but Was there anything uh, that surprised you about, and it was, you know, questions across kind of the spectrum about crime in Memphis and attitudes and so forth? Well, I was surprised
4: a little bit at the scope of support for the police. I mean, I I frankly expected the survey to show support for the police. Correct. But, um, for example, there was a question in the, survey as to whether or not um, those being surveys being surveyed respected police officers 95% said they respected police officers that's really off the charts
5: well now at the same time you you mentioned that it jumped out at me too and that's exactly what I have right here at the same time
4: yeah the survey showed there are some areas where there can be room for improvement yes Um, for example um, A fairly sizable percentage, and I don't remember the exact percentages, but you seem to maybe have them in front of you there. I I don't know. (laughs) But a fairly sizable percentage uh, indicated that uh, police could do um, a better job of tackling violent crime, a better job of solving crime. Um, To some degree, that might be a reflection of the fact that we don't have enough police officers because right. while a fair, a fairly sizable percentage of respondents indicated that, they also supported more police officers. That's not inconsistent at all. Right. If I you agree. want the police to do a better job of tackling violent crime and a better job of investigating crime, part of the answer might be that you need more police officers. So there was some consistency in those results. Um, there is also a fairly sizable um, percentage of respondents who uh, had some real questions about use of excessive force, uh, you know, an issue that's been in the media sure, a lot. Sure. Um, not a majority, but uh, a large enough percentage to know that it's
5: an issue of some concern that needs to be addressed. Well, I, it was a very interesting poll, and I and I encourage uh, – folks to go to the website for the the crime commission and it's what what is the website memphis crime Uh, memphiscrime.org memphiscrime.org easy Easy to remember yeah uh and i would encourage people just to go and see what they have to offer on the website and uh some of these poll results because you really get some real insight and uh what i like about the poll if you dig into it and look at uh, demographically i think it really does capture a true photograph of. Well,
4: it, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that, because when you look at the poll results in terms of the high respect for police officers, yes, the desire for more police officers, it's across the board, black, white, men, women, very consistent
5: results there. Well, you know, Bill, you're, you're, you're doing great work, and, uh, you know, we're very excited to, uh, to become involved and work with and support the mission uh, that you're doing. And I, I know we, I, we talked to uh, Sandy at Ariel. We have our next gun walk coming up. Yes. And uh, we can't mention it enough. Uh, I, and I want to make, make a pitch for that. Oh, please do. <laughs> uh, and I know they already have. To, but, um, let the folks know. We,
4: we've been very involved in organizing walks against gun violence in our community. And I, I don't know if we have time. Can I give a little background uh, on please this? Do. Please I don't do. Know if, tell me if we're running out of time. We can. We can, but, um, we can go. Last, last summer... Um, we had so many uh, shootings in Memphis that were high-profile a lot of concern about it um, and there's a guy named Stevie Moore you probably ought to
5: have him as a guest sometime. he he is on my list okay be upcoming, and yes. uh, Stevie has been
4: out there beating the drum about mm-hmm. gun violence for 15 plus years uh, his son was killed as a result of gun violence uh, but he's kind of been the alone drummer out there and Stevie and I were talking last summer about the need to mobilize the community to demand uh, that we do something about the level of gun violence in this community. Uh, And Stevie and I quickly agreed that we needed to start organizing uh, community events uh, for citizens to really step out and say they're fed up with gun violence and demand that people in a position to do something act on this. Uh, we then quickly brought in District Attorney Amy Weirich to help us begin organizing this. Uh, we then reached out to La Children's Hospital. And before we knew it, we had about 10 or 15 partners for the very first Walk Against Gun Violence, which was in November of 2020. We had no idea how many would show up. We simply crossed our fingers and hoped that, you know, we'd have a good turnout. Well, uh, the count was about 450 people who turned out for that initial walk. Um, Then the number of partners began to grow, and we're very glad to have the Memphis Police Association as one of the partners. Oh, yes. And now we have, I believe, over 20 partners sponsoring these walks. Uh, the second walk was in February of this year in Whitehaven. We had over 500 walkers. And the next walk is going to be on Saturday, April 24th in Fraser, beginning at and ending at the MLK Prep Academy. The walk route is 1.9 miles. Uh, we need a big turnout uh, to send a clear message that this community uh, is fed up with gun crime it's not acceptable behavior um, it really sent a message to those who are in a position to act and do something um, to recognize that the public wants action
5: well thank you bill as i say please come out to the walk the more people the more we spread the message and there will be more walks and there'll be information about that forthcoming that's at 10 a.m on saturday april 24th so we hope to see you there bill i just want to thank you so much uh you've uh, been a great public servant throughout your life you've continued to be a servant and uh it's been a real honor to get to know you and work with you and i'm just so glad you could come today and we barely scratched the surface to so many of these things we'd love to have you back at some point (laughs) so
4: uh but thank Um, you so much well thank you for having me as a guest and also i want to thank the memphis police association for uh it's willing to uh be a
5: member on the uh, Crown commission board of directors we appreciate that well thank you sir it's a great honor that to be invited to be there and, and thank you so again uh thanks bill and uh thank you very much and uh, we'll see you soon hey i just want to thank you guys for joining us for our very first episode of our uh, podcast We had a great time tonight. I think we learned a lot. I want to thank our guests, Bill, Sandy, and Ariel for a great job. And uh, in upcoming episodes, we're going to have more interviews with political leaders, community leaders, uh, officers, uh, day-to-day citizens. And we're going to have conversations, and we're going to talk about solutions and things that we can do working together. Because ultimately, in the end, we're all in this together. We're all everyday people working for a better Memphis and working for a better world if we can so again thank you we look forward to talking to you in future episodes and remember until next time look out for yourself look out for each other and remember we're just all everyday people
3: hi i'm randy smalley from the memphis police association charitable foundation and everybody always wants to have one of our shirts hey where did you get that Well, we have a store just for you to go and check out everything that we have. You can go to mpacf.shop and check out some of our shirts. We have a few that you can see. My, Mr. Vanna White here.
2: She's my cousin.
3: (laughs) His name's Jeremy White, so. These are our newest shirts that we have available Excuse the wrinkles. I'll have Jeremy steam them before we send them to you. Right on top of that. (laughs) Um, We do have shipping available, or you can come pick up from the office here at 638 Jefferson. If you have any questions, you can call me at 901-523-7075. And don't forget, we have some on sale, $5. Who doesn't love a $5 t-shirt? Go check it out.
6: Here are the top 10 things you can do if you think you might have coronavirus or COVID-19. One, stay home. Two, monitor your symptoms carefully. If they worsen, call your healthcare provider. Three, rest and stay hydrated. Four, if you have a medical appointment, call ahead and let them know you may have COVID-19. Five, if your symptoms are severe, Call 911. Six, cover your cough and sneezes. Seven, wash your hands often. Eight, stay away from others in your home. Use a separate bathroom. Nine, avoid sharing personal items. And 10, clean all surfaces that are touched often.
4: The players gotta, they have to take ownership and come out and play. Hop a lie, as Jesse Jackson would say. From the shot town, uh, they, they're gonna be okay. Is he the best player right now in the NBA period? Hit me up. Don't be afraid. Hey, if you got something you want to talk about.